Let's see, is your wife here? Oh, okay, sorry. Just going to have her stand up. Right, next time. Cool. How you guys doing? <laughs> Praise God. Amen. It's good. Ready to get after it today? What else are you going to do? I actually forgot it was a Super Bowl today. It's how into football I am. But anyway, praise God. It's so good. Jeff and uh, Abby and some other leaders are with all of the youth at a retreat. So they're up at the Oregon coast. And uh, she, was, she just sent a little thing this morning. Just a lot, of, a lot of youth just encountered God last night. And so the spirit just blew in the place and hearts were getting wrecked for Jesus. And so we love, we love when that stuff happens. So, yeah. Amen. We, uh, I, I've wanted to preach this message for a while. Um, just it's been on my, it's been on my heart. Uh, and I don't know if you'll like it or not. But uh, <laughs> it's, but uh, I think we need it. And so like, and I need it. And so anyway, we've been talking about what it means to be a forerunner for Christ's second coming, just as John the Baptist was a forerunner for his first coming and what, what that forerunner message looks like and how you're giving your message in the wilderness and um, really to boil it down to one thing. And so those have been so much fun. And we talked about last, the last two weeks, just the high priestly ministry of ministering to the Lord and what it looks like to just minister to Jesus as your number one calling above anything else. And um, this, this phrase I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use today is, is uh, 100% scriptural, and it comes from the life of John the Baptist. And so just I want to give you a, a quick recap of just John the Baptist. This will be the quickest recap of John the Baptist you've ever heard. But he was the forerunner of Christ. He was uh, called the, the burning one with the shining lamp by Jesus. Um, he was the one that identified Jesus in all four Gospels as the one who would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He was the one who recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God. Um, John's ministry was a, a preparation ministry for people to receive uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It was a, a message of repentance. Um, and so yeah, Jesus called him the greatest man that ever lived. And then he, Jesus goes on to say, but the least in the kingdom are greater than he. But, but up to that point, Jesus recognized John the Baptist as the greatest man to ever live. And uh, we really discovered the why behind that is because he found, he found the fullness of his joy in the voice of God alone. And so um, that's, that's where fulfillment is. That's where your fulfillment is in this hour. It's, it's not in anything else. It's just in the voice, the voice of the Lord. And so the context we're in now, and this is even after, remember when Jesus started getting more popular than John, and in John 3.30, he explains this had to happen because his ministry is going to increase and mine is going to increase. So mine's going away and his ministry is just beginning. The kingdom of God is now advancing. God has stepped on the scene. And so um, if anyone could tell you about Jesus, John would be like the best, you know. Um, and now he finds himself in prison and he starts to question things. Um, and so that's the context. Now he got put in prison for telling King Herod the truth that, uh, adultery is sin and you shouldn't be sleeping with your brother's wife. That, that's what he told, like, that's my version of it, but that's what he said. 
like what you're doing. That ended him up getting him beheaded. And so now he's in prison, and this is right before he gets killed for speaking out against the politics of his day. Interesting. You know, or, or the culture of his day. Um, saying this is truth, this, this is right, and it got him killed. Um, so things are beginning to look different than what they thought they would, thought he, that what he thought they would. And so we're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. So there's the context, and I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 11, 2 through 6. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Isn't that an interesting question for John the Baptist to ask? That he was the proclaimer. I mean, he was the one who declared. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Um, another way of saying that is blessed is he who's not offended in me. It's the same. It's the same. It's just translated in this in this version uh, because of. But it's also translated in me. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't really answer John's question. Um, he didn't really say it's all going to work out okay, John. Um, he he didn't like bring a prophetic word of encouragement. He just said, why don't you go tell John what I'm doing? I'm doing the work of the Messiah, the one he proclaimed that I was. It's interesting that in, in current situations, we begin having questions um, that we know the answer to. Isn't it? It's interesting when we're in prison and the Messiah is here and he's the one prophesied about that sets the captives free. And releases the prisoners that when you're in prison, you begin to question some things. True? Like, like that's, that's when, like, um, when, you're, when your theology is really tested, when it doesn't go how it's supposed to go, according, according to plan. Um, we have to be very careful because it's possible that any one of us in that place can pick up the spirit of offense. Um, being offended in God when he doesn't respond in the way we think he should or he doesn't respond in the timing that, that we think is the right timing. Oftentimes when we think of being offended, we, we talk about, and this is also true, be careful that you don't carry offense towards one another. And that, that isn't true. This is what I would call a superior truth. Because if you're offended in God, I promise you, you'll be offended with everybody else. If you'll choose not to be offended with God, you probably won't have any offense in your heart towards others. It's like loving others. You don't try to love others before you receive the love of God and love God. That, that's the position you love others from. So if, if you're going to remain unoffendable, um, then you're going to have that, that with God first, and he's going to give you the power to remain unoffendable. And so blessed is he who's, who's not offended in me. Um, I want you to think about it this way. Some call this the missing beatitude. That being offended with God removes you from blessing. 
Blessed is he who's not offended in me. So carrying offense with the Lord will remove you from the blessing that God has planned for your life. Um, I, I want to set that up as the groundwork a little bit uh, because uh, I want to look at a lot of scripture. But one of the main things at the end of the age, the end time church, is people getting offended with God. And it needs to start in the house of the Lord that we understand we can't carry any offense in our heart towards God and how important it is to know the biblical narrative um, and, not, and not your good idea. Amen? God, God is not afraid to offend your mind to get to your heart. We have to remember that. He, he is not afraid to offend your mind to get to your heart. So we have, to, we have to choose to be unoffendable before the Lord with a spirit of humility, a spirit of the fear of the Lord, and to say, Lord, I really want to know your narrative, not my version, but the biblical narrative of what truth really is. So it's, it's really important we're, that we're um, not so focused on one attribute of God, even though there's times and seasons where we press into one attribute of God because the Holy Spirit wants to release that in greater measure. But, but we need the complete narrative of God because it's almost like culture got hung up on um, their version of the love of God and the goodness of God, but it became their narrative, not the biblical narrative of the love of God and the goodness of God. So when it becomes your narrative, then when something contradicts your lens, then you're like, well, I guess God's not entirely good. Or I, or I guess he's not entirely love because you've, you've um, just categorized it based upon your version. Does that make sense? So culture uses the same language and the same words, but God's word carries a weight with it. But we're like, when we see the goodness of God, we also see his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, his judgment. Like all, all of those things are also in his goodness and all those things are also in his love. And so um, we don't want to become so focused on our neat little version of Jesus that we miss the biblical truth of who he is. Like, you know, like the Christmas Christian, when baby Jesus comes around, that's the version they like. Or Easter Bunny Jesus. Or like, like no, let's follow like the, the biblical narrative of, of Jesus. And so um, we also got to have to be careful because this will get you offended really quickly. If your narrative is all internally focused rather than having a global worldwide perspective. So if... Yeah, and I'm going to speak to Americans because we're, we're in America. If your focus is just American or Western focused and not globally focused, we get so caught up in our own stuff that we forget he's the God of the world, not just America. Okay. Jesus warns us, and this is Matthew 24, so you, this is like the end, one of the end times. There's 150 of them. If you want the list, I'll get it to you. I think everyone should study the, the end time narrative of the Lord throughout Scripture. There's 150 chapters dedicated to end, end times. Um, so when we say, well, I don't know what happens, it doesn't really matter. Uh, don't say that. At least don't say it in front of me. It does matter. It does matter. Every, everything matters. We're, we're called to know seasons. We're, we're called to pay attention to times. We're, we're called to like have our ear to his heart and, and be aware. And so Matthew 24, in the New Testament, one of the greatest, one of the greatest chapters 
um, on, on eschatology, but he says in Matthew 24, 10, many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. So, so there's a warning right there. There's going to be offense in the end times. Um, I've never, has anyone been alive where people are more easily offended? You haven't. You can offend anyone with anything at any time. It's a blessed gift, isn't it? No matter what you think, it'll offend 50% of people. And so, like, my, my, my thing is, nobody cares what you think. Nobody. We, we need to release what God says is truth. It, it's, it's really like... Jesus only said, let, let this rest on her. He only said what he heard the Father speak. That's why he didn't talk about a lot of stuff that everyone else was talking about all the time. He only spoke what he heard. We're to be just like Jesus. We should only speak what we hear him saying. And when we don't know, we should say we don't know. So Jesus warns, be careful. Many will be offended. There's a warning. Paul prayed in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 over the church. This is his prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So his, his apostolic prayer released by the Holy Spirit is that the church would be without offense until the day of his coming. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus warned us. Paul said, pray. The, the word offended um, actually means to put a, stum- a stumbling block. It's like when you look at the Greek, sometimes they'll use the same, the same Greek word, uh, scandalizo, as a stumbling block or offense. They actually are translated sometimes back and forth, depending on what, what version you have. And so um, that Jesus' words and what he does could actually become a stumbling block if we have a different narrative other than God's. It'll be the very work of Jesus that has potential to bring a stumbling block if we're carrying something other than him. That's a little frightening to me. Like the very thing meant to draw people to himself could actually cause people to fall away if they're not looking at the real Jesus. Because how many, know, how many know most people missed him when he came the first time? Most. Very, very few. Very few realized who, who, who it was, what he came to do. Why? They thought they had him all figured out according to their narrative. He'll be like this. He'll free us from this. He'll, he'll do this. And so if, if you think you know exactly what it's going to be like, and it's not biblically based, like be careful. This is kind of a warning message. Not the funnest ones, right? But, but if we're aware, uh, we, we don't want to be in any kind of deception. And so um, when God comes in an unexpected way, a package different than you thought he would come, um, it, it, 
it could make you stumble or hinder you from knowing the fullness of the Lord. Listen, listen to how Peter explains it. First Peter 2, 7 and 8. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. So, so to the unbelievers, Jesus actually becomes the thing they stumble over. He becomes the stumbling stone. Jesus 13, 57. I'm not going to read the passages. I'm just going to point you to a few things. Remember, Jesus' hometown was offended at him. And so they couldn't see, the one, see him as the one prophesied about. They couldn't see him as the Messiah. Offense blinds you. It blinds you. They couldn't see, so they couldn't receive. In Matthew 13, 21, when he's speaking of the different seeds that are released upon, or the seeds are released on different soil, it, he tells us um, about this one, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. It's the same word for immediately he's offended. When the word doesn't come to pass exactly the way you thought it should, you can be offended at God. And then you change your version of God. Everybody doing okay? Okay, you, let, let, you, don't, you don't see the deliverance. You, you don't see the healing. You, you don't see the salvation. You, you, you see where I'm going? You don't see the breakthrough. You don't see the job. And so rather than... Um, pressing into the Lord and into his heart, you change your version of God and say, well, he must not be the healer. He must not be the deliverer. He must not be the one who hears my prayers. And so you don't even realize it, but you pick up a little bit of offense against God. And the very thing that's meant to draw you into his heart becomes a stumbling block for you. So you actually, now you're blocked from seeing a portion of his face and you're blocked from the blessing of knowing him in that way. In Matthew 13, 52, tells us the smartest people of the day, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were offended. And it kept them from receiving him as Savior and Lord. All those who yelled, crucify him, were offended. Do we get that? This wasn't the Messiah I was expecting. Judas was offended. He's not coming to release us. From the clutches of Rome, I'm offended. And, and offense will make you do some pretty crazy, some pretty crazy things. And so um, we just want to be, how do, you, how do you stay unoffendable before God? It's really through fellowship. It, it's really through um, not allowing disappointment, um, not allowing your own interpretation keeping you from growing in, in knowledge. Sometimes um, we'll get emails and stuff like that, and that's, that's cool. We're, we will sit down and talk with anybody. We're, we're not above reproach, and we don't think we have everything 100% figured out, and we tell people to think for themselves and to know the Word of God and to walk in His righteousness and in His voice every single day. And so sometimes, like, new ideas or new things that are very scripturally based, will challenge you because they're different than your original way of thinking, I would say let it challenge you. 
I've grown the most when the things that I thought I was supposed to hold on to the tightest weren't actually the Lord. They were some religious paradigm or some denominational thing or some, and it, and it was missing this beautiful aspect of God that carried my breakthrough. So don't, don't let the challenge of growing into his word and being humble like a child keep you from his presence and his word. He'll never change the word. He'll never change the word, but he may change your interpretation of it because you're wrong. I'm speaking to me too. Does that make sense? I used to think God didn't do half the stuff I've seen him do. He does that in good ways. These aren't bad ways. These are, these are ways that have opened up to the beauty of the Lord. How he speaks, how he leads, his, his fellowship, his direction, his um, conversation, you know, all, all of these things. Like encounters, encounters have a way of really challenging your theology. Like you can think, well, I don't think he speaks to me. And then he speaks to you and pins you on the floor. And you go, I guess he speaks. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, but don't, but don't wait to have the encounter before you believe. Just believe the word and it'll set you up for the encounter. Because unbelief oftentimes will keep you from encountering the Lord in that way. I like to remind the Lord of his word. I didn't write this stuff. You know what I mean? I, I didn't, I couldn't come up with it. I couldn't make it. He's the one that said, you lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. I didn't come up with it. I'm to believe it. You cast out demons. Well, what do you mean? I can't do that. He doesn't want that kind of conversation. It's no, you just do it. How do I do what I can't do by being faithful and doing what I said? How do you see a greater measure if, you, if we won't step into what he already told us to do? Lord, send a deliverer. I did. <laughs> do you see where I'm going? It just, and so we have to really just be humble in our approach of the Lord. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly, like 15, 20 minutes, let you into the end time plan of God. This took me 24 weeks to speak in Revelation, and I'm just going to hit you in the gut 10 times, okay? And hope you don't throw up. Okay. This, uh, this is like a wide brush. This is so wide. I would, it's difficult for me to go this wide, but I'm going to do it because I felt like I was supposed to. So, um, and I could be wrong. Test me. Seriously, I, I have to say that as a teacher, preacher of the word, I'll stand before the Lord. Um, don't take everything I say 100% gold. Every, every prophecy this side of heaven falls short of perfection. We're called to test it all. Everyone in here has the gift of the spirit of prophecy. It might be different levels. It may be different, but we all, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have the Word of God, we are meant to test. That's why if, um, quick tangent, if we know what a lot of prophets were saying, don't throw them under the bus. You had a responsibility the moment you hear a prophetic word release to go with the word of God, to get with God, and to see, is this fully from the Lord? Is it partially from the Lord? Do you know what I mean? We have a responsibility. Don't throw people under the bus. Preachers screw up, prophets screw up. And so it's like we all fall short of his glorious plan. We see in part, Scripture tells us. 
And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to quickly throw people under the bus because we're like, well, they're wrong. So that's, that's what the church has done in the past. They're wrong, so let's throw all prophets out. You can't do that. You can't do that. You're, you're, you'd be getting rid of the voice of the Lord within the church. And so, okay. So the, the, end, time, the end time battle plan of God um, seen in the book of Revelation, as well as 150 other chapters. I just want to like waken your heart up a little bit to it. Like I just, you know, um, and there's, there's always more and, and we're growing in wisdom and understanding and all those things. But when you start to get just the biblical narrative, things just begin to make sense. And they give you a hunger to go search out on your, out on your own more and more. Um, cause many times I think God's just misunderstood. Uh, we usually misunderstand people we don't know. Think about it. We, we typically, we misunderstand people we don't know. We hear one thing they say or we see one thing they do and we, we misunderstand them. And then that misunderstanding actually is the offense that keeps us from getting to know them or their situation. And so people do that with God all the time. He's misunderstood. And so the very thing meant to save them becomes the stumbling block that keeps, keeps them from him. And so um, God, God will release perfect judgments. Um, we teach a lot on the bridal paradigm, on loving, loving Jesus as our bridegroom king. Part of the reason is because when you know his, his radical, fiery love, it helps you receive difficulty with grace. If you don't know that aspect of him as the fiery lover who will do anything to bring justice, anything to set the captive free, it, you know, he's going to come against sin hard. Um, but if you don't know his love, you could be offended thinking his, his justice and righteousness is cruel and harsh. And then you could put that on God and say, I guess he's not really good. That's why people can't a lot of times take in the context of who God is. They can't take the Old Testament, the Hebrew writings of the Lord. And when he does difficult things, they go, I just can't believe God would do that. And part of, part of that is, well, you just don't know his radical burning love for you, for holiness, for purity. You don't know his longings. You've defined him by his ways without knowing his heart. That's what Israel did. And they never were, were invited up on the mountain again. So um, God, is, God is going to release perfect judgments upon this earth, specifically targeting darkness that permeates our world. God hates darkness. How many, how many know the one who loves also hates fiercely? Not people, but darkness and sin. He loves people. He loves people in darkness. He, he loves people that are caught in sin, but he hates the root system. He hates the, the covering of darkness. God and darkness can't dwell in the same space. That's why, that's why heaven is defined as light, as uh, we're called children of light. That's why we're told he shines seven times brighter than the sun. Like he is all about light. And so he will come against darkness fiercely. Um, the judgments of God will not just deal with the effects of sin. They'll ultimately uproot the source and will strip the enemy of everything. Like, like he will strip the enemy. He's, he's rendered powerless now in the believer's life that's filled with the Holy Spirit and is not walking in sin. 
He's already, but he's not rendered pow, powerless in a culture and a people that continually open the door to him. He's only rendered powerless in the blood-bought children of God right now. Does that make sense? And so um, the Lamb of God, the Root of David, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, when this is all over, will receive the full reward of his suffering. Um, Revelation gives us the sevenfold blessing that's going to come to Jesus. All power, riches, wisdom, strength, glory, honor, and blessings. They were all created for him and will all be given back to him. Everything that was created, seen or unseen, was created to worship Jesus and exalt him above all things. Everything belongs to him, and it's been taken captive and stolen. Part of our role as we walk this planet is to take back and destroy the works of the enemy, but it won't happen in fullness until he comes back. When the Father hands the Son the scroll in Revelation 5, and we, we sing about that, but, there, but there's a weight on that that I want us, want us to get because when the Father hands the Son the scroll, it can be viewed as the title deed of the world. It's time, basically, and I'm putting words on this, basically, it's time to get your inheritance back. He already bought the bride. Think about it. He bought the bride with blood. He, he purchased her. He ransomed her. And when the son receives the scroll in Revelation 5, it is the title deed of the world, and now it's time to get it all back, son. When this happens, and we believe in sovereignty and free will, there are times when God's sovereign, there, um, and he leaves free will. So he chose us, but we have to choose him in return. That's, that's, that's the free will. But there are sovereign moves of God when things begin to be unleashed. No intercessory prayer will stop it. Nothing will be able to get in the way of it. His hand will move, and there will be nothing to do but join him. So, so our prayers... Our, our prayers actually change. Bickle calls Revelation the prayer manual for the end time church. Because we know how he's going to begin to move. And we begin praying in agreement with what's being released from heaven. So heaven and earth, the veil is less and less. And so our, our prayers are being moved by the Holy Spirit to usher in the second coming. So it, when this sovereign motion begins, there won't be a devil or a human or a political force or a government that can stand in its way. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 10, many will be offended. They won't like how he does it. You know, you, do you ever listen to Job's conversation with God and his friends? And God's like, were you there when I birthed this thing? Can you hold the ocean in the palm of your hand? You know, and like you can't have a better plan than God. He doesn't need your idea. Like your thesis, you know, whatever, whatever. He just needs your yieldedness to his lordship. And he needs your heart to say, I won't, I won't 
allow anything you do to be the spirit of wisdom and revelation released on my life. The spirit of understanding. I love how Isaiah 11, I know I talk about that a lot, the sevenfold spirit of God. He releases the spirit of understanding when I don't understand. He releases the spirit of comfort when I'm uncomfortable. He releases knowledge when I don't know anything. And so we ask, give me your Holy Spirit so I don't get offended with the person of Jesus Christ. A difficult truth for us to deal with sometimes is the tension that Jesus is lamb and he's lion. That, that he's the, the surrendered, wounded one. Uh, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, but he's anointed with the oil of joy above all his brethren. You're like, how can he be suffering and filled with joy? Like, we have to know what he suffers for and know what he's joyful about. Like, we have to carry, like, he's a fierce lion that when he roars, uh, I love the Hebrew rise, when he roars, Israel will come running. Like when you, we, you see these scriptures and you pray them and they begin to be imparted to your heart and you're like, the power of his roar will awaken the nations. They will look upon the one they have pierced and they will mourn for him. But then he's the lamb of God. He's leading troops as a lamb of God, as a wounded savior. It's like, what kind of savior is this king? And, and the Holy Spirit invites us. You're like, yeah, you know that side of it. Now turn and look at this side because it's going to empower you right now in your weakness. He's fully merciful. He's filled with grace and fiery love flows from his throne to all who will receive him as Savior and Lord. But that same fire will judge those who've come against him and won't receive him as Savior and Lord. We have to see both sides. His fire saves and purifies and empowers, but it'll be the fire that judges you if you don't receive him. Ultimately, we know through the whole narrative of Scripture, God will give humanity what they long for the most. You'll get what you want. It's much, it's much less about God sending someone anywhere and people choosing their, old, their own sinful lifestyle above God. He's already chosen our destiny for us. It's not his will that any would suffer, that all would come to repentance. He's already chosen his best for us. The question is, will humanity choose his best for us, or will they choose their best, which falls short of the glory of God? Does that make sense? It's much less about, you know, God never, scripturally, never created hell for any human. It was made for the devil and his army. So his plan and intent is not that any would suffer, but we know that many are suffering because they're rejecting the lordship of Jesus. Most of what we'll read and, and what we read and study in the end time plan in the 150 chapters, um, like most people just kind of want to avoid it. That, like truth be told, uh, there were a time in my life like I just wanted to avoid this part because I wanted to focus on my own maturity and my own growth and the goodness of the Lord and my family. Um, I dare to say you can do all of it. You can be a balanced, whole gospel, spirit-filled, love your family incredibly and intensely well, love God wholeheartedly and see every facet of him that he allows us to. There will be sometimes people in the world because 
part of his end time plan is, is radical. It is aggressive. Um, some places in it, it's, it's both the beautiful and like scary if you're not following him. It is. Many will say, how could, how could he? I thought he loved humanity. I thought he was love, but his love is fierce and it won't fit into man's container. It's, it's a different kind of love. It's not a love that covers over. It's a love that redeems and calls, calls people out. Um, this is hard for some to see, but Jesus taking, in, in Revelation 5, him, him taking the, uh, the seven seals and begin to open them isn't just him um, allowing the judgments. It is him initiating the judgments. It's, it's him actually initiating the move of God that is going to begin uh, releasing and, un, and unraveling, um, letting both the church come to full maturity like she's never been before and letting unrighteousness and evil coming to full maturity like it's never been before. What, what we've seen in the past where there's just been an intertwining uh, in the West where, oh, I live in the West, I'm a Christian. We're, we're going to see days where that no longer exists. Like to, like to be a Christian um, will be a statement that carries weight in the West in the future. It'll say, my alignments and my agreements are fully with Jesus. I've gotten rid of all of my own thoughts. I'm not walking in some culturally influenced place. I, I'm not adhering to anyone but the voice of the Lord. Like, it'll actually carry some weight and some power. Like, it'll be part of the refining, I believe, I believe as a church globally. Like, to say the name Christian um, in Antioch, they never said it. They were accused of being Christians because their life looked just like Jesus Christ. They didn't come up with that term, Christian. The world came up with that term because they, they're, he, they're just like Jesus. They're many Christs that will be accused of being just like Jesus. And so um, his judgments will ultimately release the greatest revival fire that's ever existed on the planet. Like we we get we get some of those those scriptures, you know, when when talking about the the rebuilding of everything God God wants to do. Amos even speaks of the time the revival is going to be so heavy that the one who's planting the seed, like, and the one who's reaping the seed, so the reaper is actually going to catch up with the planter. There's that many conversions happening over and over and over and over and over again. The prophet's heart was until the glory of God covers the earth as 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 water does. As water covers the sea, we hear these longings expressed, not even fully knowing that they're, they were wanting something and longing for something that God is actually going to do. We also have to realize, like as Isaiah 60 tells us, it, it will be a time of deep darkness in the world, but great light for the church. It'll be the greatest move of darkness that has ever been introduced on the planet. Um, if you've been alive even the last 10 years, and it looks like all you guys have, like you've, you've seen a rapid acceleration of the acceptance of evil. Evil has been normalized. It's been normalized.
when we see that take place even more, it's like just prepare yourself. And it's not buckle up. It's like, no, hang on to Jesus. Look up. Because if, if that's happening, then, then the prophetic word's also true that it'll happen in here where there's going to be a grace and an empowerment like we've never, ever seen in our day. And sometimes what keeps us from like pressing into the Lord is like, but I've never seen that. And so we have a block of like, because we haven't seen it, we don't think it's possible. Like, like I haven't seen power explosions where dead people are, are raised up. But do you know in, in other places of the globe, they have. It's normal. Just because you haven't seen it does not mean it doesn't exist. It, God wants to release a hunger in our hearts and our lives to say, man, it, I believe like this could actually be the place. I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the spirit-filled church, not just in America, in the globe that begins to look like the full manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. And so um, there just won't be confusion whose side you're on. Right now, there's just confusion. Like, I don't, it won't matter what denomination you're in. It won't matter. Nothing will matter except Jesus. Do you look like him? Do you smell like him? Do you respond like him? Do you carry his power? Do you carry his fruit? Do you carry the mind of Christ? Are you in community? Are you walking in unity with the body of Christ? Like, this dismembered idea that people can just be Christians and do their own thing is a crock. It's a crock. It's not the Lord. You're part of the body, getting a body, even if it's not this one, and be in unity with what God's saying, with what he's doing. I'm hearing too many people hearing lies in isolation, and it's sickening me. You hear That's when the enemy plucks people off, and you get weird ideas. Get out of your weird ideas and get into the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know I'm a little fiery this morning. It will take this, like, have you ever, have you ever thought, and I'm sure you do because you're reason, you reason with the Lord, like, what will it take to actually redeem a society, a culture? Like, and we don't have permission, whoever, whether you love who's in office or not, you don't have permission to complain. You have permission to pray for them. And the, the number one prayer for them is they encounter Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the number one prayer. That's the number, like, like, let them know you, Jesus. Like, like, pray for them. Like, fervently pray, pray for them. Pray for our culture. Because everything you don't like in culture is a response to culture's longing. Culture is getting what it's longed for, like it or not. God is giving us the desires of our hearts. And you might say, well, that's not my desire. Praise, praise the Lord. But it is, it is the desire of the nation. And that disheartens. And so we, we have to just be in agreement with God's plan over that. Um, but many will be offended with, with Jesus, with his plan, with his bride, a full maturity of both good and evil. Um, so just don't lose sight of Jesus. That's the main thing. Just don't, don't lose sight of him. Um, this is, I, I love this. I know um, I pull a lot from IHOP. I, 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 I love their teaching and, and have grown a lot from it, so that's why I use it a lot. But listen to this over um, from Mike Bickle concerning the judgments of God. God's end-time judgments will remove all that hinders love. 
God will remove all that hinders love. That's the point of judgment, to remove everything from the planet that ultimately hinders love. God will use the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating anyone's free will. In other words, he would say, I could not lessen them and get the job done. So he knows like the perfect amount of pressure, tension. Like he, he sees, like we just see right here a lot of times, he just sees the whole beautiful picture. Um, he sees redemption from beginning to end. Jesus will not violate anyone's free will. So Jesus will not make anyone believe in him. He won't violate free will. He won't rush in a door. He'll knock. And so he's going to let righteousness and sin come to full maturity. Everybody doing okay? Okay. Um, in the generation in which the Lord returns, we're told God will shake the nations to judge the kingdom of darkness, to purify the church. And so we have to be uh, two-sided in this because we can get so hung up on the judgments and all that, that we forget he's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's good. He's my treasure. He's my reward. He's my delight. Because we can get so hung up on, well, get ready. It's going to get worse. There's an aspect of truth, but there's an aspect of like, yeah, but Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? The moment we become the whining, complaining, like we're like the world just different. And so God will shake the nations. Um, he alone is, knows the perfect pressure. Um, the process will be seen in the beginning of birth pains, uh, in the release of the seal, the trumpets, and the bowl judgments, culminating in the kings and the armies that are coming against Christ at Armageddon, and Jesus coming to rule and reign from Jerusalem. An actual, like, sometimes we're like, well, that just sounds nice, or, you know, whatever, um, some are like, do you actually believe? Yes. Wholeheartedly. He will come. He will have legs. He will have feet. He will have hands. He will have these eyes that are so burning hot. They're blue. He will have hair white like wool. He will rule and reign from a physical location. He will do it all. He's coming. And our whole life is to walk in love and affection, in preparation, but both in preparation and abiding. So we have in part, we will have in full, but we enjoy the part as well. He says in Haggai 2, 6, and 7, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, says the Lord. This will happen. Jesus fulfilled every prophetic word concerning his birth. He will fulfill every prophetic word consi consisting of his second coming. Every single one. They, unbelievers, will come to the desire of all nations, who is Jesus, said the Lord. Jesus has the scrolls, and so he's the one opening, he's the one initiating, he's the one allowing these dimensions of pressure to happen, 
because he'll create, create an atmosphere where the harvest will come in, where the church will be purified and where darkness will be judged. Trust me, you, you, we should have it in our heart. Sometimes we approach him, you know, um, shepherd, king, uh, bridegroom, lover of our soul. I mean, you can name, name all these. Practice in your prayer life coming to him also as judge. You don't have to wait to know, to know him as judge. Know, know that beautiful aspect of him now. Aren't you glad Jesus judged you righteous when you gave your life to him? Think about it. We're like, we get scared of judges because I, like as a teenager, I think I had to stand in front of one a couple times. It was more for speeding and turning my stereo up too loud, but still. But, but I was nervous, man. I, I was like, dude, this guy is way worse than my dad. Like, Jesus, do you know there's no fear in judgment for the believer, Scripture tells us? There's no fear. Think about it. So get to know. Say, Jesus, I want to know you. But you know, what I, you know what he'll do? The Holy Spirit will release his beauty and his power and his love so you can kind of get a glimpse of him as judge. And then that can begin to grow in you where you trust his perfect judgments. And when you see judgment even being released, we're like, well, we're, we're out of a time of judgment. And we have, in a sense, um, test me on this. Uh, we have, in a sense, because when the old covenant ended and Jesus brought in the new covenant of his blood, we have been out of a time. We've been in a season of grace for a long time. And even in his judgment, when these things are happening, it's still seasoned with grace. It is for the salvation of the world. But after this is over, the season of grace is done. There will be, there will be an end where people can choose him in return. And so um, I, I'm gonna, I want to end with these, this last thing, just talking about the system of Babylon. Um, just so, just so we're aware of what the enemy's doing scripturally, and I know we, many of us, many of us are, but just like, like, oh, we're not shocked at what's happening right now, because you know, oftentimes we're like, I can't believe this is happening, and um, a lot of times I'm like, well, I've read the word, I'm not that surprised, I don't like it, but um, I'm not taken off guard, and I'm just going to lean into Jesus right now. Um, Amen. Okay. So, so the system of Babylon is, uh, uh, Babylon's used as like a name, like it's a physical location, but it's, but it's actually like defining culture and this uprising that will happen before he comes back. And we're already seeing it happen, happening. It's begin, it began like as soon as man let sin in the world, but this system will come to full fruition, scripture tells us. And so, um, but sometimes just, we need to be careful that we're not deceived because the enemy's not going to come in with like horns and a pitchfork and a red suit. He's just not like, he's not, he's not that dumb. He, he, he's, he knows just enough of truth um, that's how we challenged Jesus. He brought the he brought the word and he misinterpreted it. He he's a Leviathan, so he twisted it. That means like this this twisting um, motion that he does. And so um, Revelation seventeen and eighteen is one of the most significant end time prophecies, giving insight into how Satan will deceive the nation. So his strategy. 
Um, it's titled the harlot Babylon. So Babylon, the prostitute, Babylon, the whore. That, that, that is, um, that is the name that the scripture gives us. So the harlot Babylon will be primarily a religious and economic network. Revelation 17 focuses on, um, Babylon's religion as, uh, being a harlot, having seductive power, and engaging in cruel persecution. The harlot, or the prostitute, which is undermined by Satan, is counterfeit to the bride of Christ. Think about it. The bride of Christ is pure, holy, righteous, longs for one. The enemy is after the same thing, except he's not raising up a pure virgin. He's raising up a prostitute. Wherever, wherever we see a counterfeit, you can find the real thing in the Lord. Um, and so he's going to raise up this, this counterfeit. It, it will be a counterfeit justice movement. And we don't always look at, look at it like that. It will highlight things like social justice, how it's taking care of the world. It will highlight things like how we can all be one and how dare we label something that God's labeled. Anyone can carry any title they want, any name they want, and it will be socially acceptable. And to think absolute truth would be coming against a Babylonian system, and you, and you would be the one that carries the penalty. Are you starting to see some of the underground work happening already? It will be known for its oneness and peace. Its unity oneness and peace but it's a false peace it's a peace that brings people together but inwardly is is corrupt it's evil it's wrong it's 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 motives and its intent doesn't have anything to do with jesus christ as lord it will consider the gospel message of jesus christ as hurtful divisive and destructive because think about it if if the enemy could raise up a movement where every religion is accepted, every way to way to God is yes and amen. When we come with Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, there's no other way of the Father but by him. Who's the one that will be ostracized? Babylon will seduce and control the world's most powerful leaders, according to Scripture. The harlot system will cause if anyone wants, wants my notes on all of this, I can give you the whole, the whole thing scripturally and everything. The harlot system will cause the nations to be drunk with her seductions. It uses language like that. They'll actually, um, once again, it's a counterfeit. The Holy Spirit makes us drunk with Jesus, the joy of the Lord, the presence of God. So we're intoxicated and influenced by the person of Christ. The enemy will intoxicate with seductions and perversion. But it will include great benefits such as humanitarian aid, unified religion, and prosperous world economy. Look out for any social justice that does not preach Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The kingdom of God is not a social justice movement. So it, social justice is important, but it is a movement that worships Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we serve from that place. There have been many churches that have went astray just focused on social justice and just pushing Jesus right out of it. It's ministering to him first and then out, up then out. It will be a system um, that has lots of promises with immediate gratification that looks good from the outside, that's built on deception, and we're told that many nations will be in alignment. Revelation 17.4 tells us she... The harlot Babylon will serve the nations from a golden cup. 
She will serve the nations with her cup, and her drink will win the hearts and allegiance of many. Her cup will be filled, we're told, with abominations, which refers to idolatry, fornication, moral perversion. There'll be no absolutes in sexuality. Anything goes. This system's like growing right now. It's growing. Just be aware. Like, like be aware who you are, though, more than you're aware of what is going on. Be aware of Jesus more, but just be aware. Is this okay? I'm almost done. I know this is, this is long. Is it helping you, though? Somebody? Okay, amen. So Babylon will be this full manifestation. So it will be sin matured. We're, we're told that God even holds back the growth of some things. Like there's a, there is a holding, there is a holding back. Like sin can only go so far, in other words, while God's hand, when he begins to move his hand and release the judgment and his hand begins to move out, we'll see it come to fruition um, like, like we've never imagined. We'll also, on the opposite side, see the church become the church of Jesus Christ like she's never come before as he releases a greater measure of what Jesus has already paid for. Babylon will literally hate everyone who's loyal to Jesus. We will seem like the intolerant ones because we will not submit to this one unified religion, social justice, peace movement. The greatest threat to the harlot religion will be the prayers of the saints. It will be the prayer. That's why we're going to continue to see houses of worship and prayer pop up all over the nations, and it will be the greatest threat to the enemy. It will, and so that's, that's part, of our, part of our longing here. I want to say the words again. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Like I said, search it all out in, in Scripture. Spend, spend time, and this was a really wide brush coat. I actually enjoy spending time on this biblically. I spend more time on the beauty of Jesus and loving him than I do the plan. I think the church gets off balance when it's all about the plan and we miss the man. It's the man, then the plan. Amen. Um, so we are to know and follow the man, Christ Jesus, grow in his understanding, um, the understanding of his plan as we look to him. And there's this blessing of fully trusting in him um, just knowing he's going to lead you, knowing he's perfect, knowing he's wonderful. Like his head really is like gold. That means, you know, his leadership is perfect. Um, and so um, you guys want to come up and just play? I just want to read a, read a passage a passage over you, um, just empower you to see Jesus, you know. And so, um, Mario, will you just start playing the guitar a little bit? Just just. Like whatever, whatever area, um, and I know the Holy Spirit's so faithful. He, he might reveal it now. He might reveal it six months from now. I don't know. But if he's brought up any area of um, offense in you, even have him search your heart like when God didn't respond in your life the way you thought he should, when some church disappointed you or someone let you down and all of a sudden you actually deluded God 
Um, hurts have just a way of doing that. Sickness, disappointment, all of that stuff has a way of just like, ah, just not going to believe this too hard because I don't want to be let down again or whatever. But also just say, I'm coming into your, to your plan, your, your, your plan to release your power, your goodness, your measure. If there's any fear that pops up, like let the Holy Spirit have that. You're not meant to walk in fear in these areas at all. Like he can release a spirit of boldness. I mean, Acts 4, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and boldness. Perfect love casts out fear. I mean, these, the Bible's just real. Just do it. Say it. Say it out loud to him. I've just been, like, lately the Lord's just been opening up fellowship. I don't, it's, it's hard to explain. Um, more, I think more recently than, the only other time I could say it measured up is when I was first coming into just all the things of the Holy Spirit. And, like, I feel a freshness now that those same types of things are available and greater. I think we're going to know a walking with the Lord like we've never, never known. I don't know how to explain it, but I, uh, just this last week, I just want to give a testimony just to release faith. I, I just went out for a walk or whatever, and, I was kind of running, walking. I'm trying to get in shape, whatever. Don't judge me. You didn't even go for a walk, so whatever. Uh, but but I, was, I, was, I was out there, and the Lord's like, hey, stop running. Just be with me. And I just began to engage in my heart with the Lord. And I just had dialogue with him. I was just talking to him as a friend. I, it was weird. I wasn't going after anything. I wasn't pressing in for beauty. I, it was just, he wanted my friendship. And I feel like we're in a season like, when he's my friend and he's right here, like I can do anything. I don't fear anything. I don't listen to any other voice. It's just Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. Like, and I believe that's for everybody. I really do. Just like the presence, the manifest presence of his voice, of his of his power, of his word. Uh, Lord, I pray, would you just release that even now? I pray for hearts to be open, God, to facets of you that they haven't, maybe they've seen, they've glimpsed before, but an invitation by the Holy Spirit to come in to deep places. Oh, Jesus, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you even invite us into that place of knowing you as our perfect and righteous judge. The same one who judges us righteousness by the blood of the Lamb is the one who walks with us and redeems us. Just receive this word from Revelation today. Just open your hearts and just see him. Holy Spirit, would you help open our hearts, enlighten our hearts? Revelation 19, 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, the white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. 
He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, release the blessing of not being offended. Holy Spirit, take all offense out of my heart. Tell him today, Holy Spirit, take all offense out of my heart. Renew my first love for you, and I want to see you rightly. Release the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you, Father. Let us know the blessing of being unoffendable. Even when you haven't met our expectations, our timing, we want to tell you we trust you, Lord. Your leadership is perfect. Oh, we worship the one on a white horse called Faithful and True. King of kings and Lord of lords. But you're not just a general king of kings. You're my king. You're my Lord. You've proven yourself faithful and true to me. Thank you, Lord. Ministry team, would you come? We just want to pray with you today and bless you. Amen.